they'll find out where I work and they'll arrive there or angry men will arrive at where I work or start harassing my workplace or um, find out where I live uh, or find out where my family lives or send horrific photos of me to my parents. Like I had, it was all about other people because mm -hmm. I knew I, as all of us are more concerned about others than ourselves because we kind of know I'll be okay with me, but the other, I need to make sure others are protected. So that was my like overarching fear was like the impact this might have on my family. My name is Mia Doring and I'm a writer and psychotherapist and the author of the memoir, Any Girl, a memoir of surviving prostitution in Ireland. And you're watching Folks Alert. <laughs> to the Folks Alert Show. My name is Kiko. My guest today is Nia Dorn. She's an author of the book, The Well Acts, The Memoir, Any Girl, and also she is a psychotherapist which specializes in sexual trauma. Mia, how are you? <laughs> good, thanks. I'm in my kitchen. <laughs> well, that's good. Do you cook a lot? No, I do not cook. No. What are you doing in the kitchen and you don't cook? There's no other space for me to put my laptop on its little thing. So I have to be here in between my fridge and a giant bunch of flowers. <laughs> There's a part in your book where you says you came in from the beach and you was watching your laptop on the table. Is this the table we're talking about? This is the table. Really? <laughs> this is the table I wrote my lap my book on. Yeah, yeah. I've wow. got a very small and it's a very small kitchen. It's a very small table. <laughs> Do you? Uh, you know, some people write, some people find places where they write, you know, um, some people may write better in a coffee shop, maybe in the living room. Yeah. Is your kitchen that place for you to gather your thoughts and put thoughts to paper? Yeah. Yeah. It's where I do all my work, all my writing, all my everything is here. Um, I have an office upstairs, but it's too small. So I just can't, I can't work in there. It's tiny. Um, it's claustrophobic. I do work in cafes sometimes if I'm doing something easy. I can work in a cafe, but if I'm doing something more difficult, then I've got to be, I've got to have the silence around me, you know, but Aww. it's actually quite useful being in a cafe because then you've got people around. It keeps you kind of focused on your work. So I find that useful sometimes, the odd time. It depends. I, I, I've tried to, to work in, in coffee shops. It, it never works well for me because yeah. I, I guess, I guess the distraction, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it was never it was never a, a pleasant place for me. And then you have the noise and then you have this, the music going on in the background above you. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. The, the jingling of the cups and the, the spoons. And <laughs> I'm, I'm cool on that. I'm cool. It's mostly if I need to get out of the house, you know, that's when I'm like, OK, I'll go to the cafe for a couple of hours. Um, if I'm kind of sick of my own <laughs> experience in the house. <laughs> where's the where's the dog? 
Oh, she died. Really? Yeah, she died in May. I'd love to show her to you, but she's not here. Usually, any other any other time I'm doing something like this, Missy would be here. I'd be showing her and being like, "Look at my dog." But unfortunately, she died. her bed is still there. Everything is still <laughs> everything is still over there in the corner. How how long yeah. did it take you to write this book, this memoir? It took me a really long time, but this particular version of it took me about two years. It took me one year to write the book and then another year to edit it and do all that kind of stuff with my agent. Um, I wrote it from January 2019-ish mm-hmm. until the following January. Then I worked on it with my agent for the from February all over the summer and we got the book deal the following November. So not quite two years, but nearly two years. The dog was there for all this process. Oh my God, yeah. She was <laughs> She was a big part of me writing this book. Oh, it was amazing having her with me. This is not going to be your last book, right? No, I'm, I've just finished another one. Really? We're going to have to talk about that another time. You have to come back. Yeah. I want. I want you to take me back for a moment. Yeah. For, for a long time, you were doing your practice as a psychotherapist. Yeah. You specialize in sexual trauma. I do. And you, you never told anyone of your experience. Did, did, was that when you when you got into that practice, right? Did you special did you say, okay, well, this is the area I want to focus on and this is the area I wanna I wanna talk about and, and help people. Uh, because it's something that I personally can relate to. Was it? Was that one of the reasons why you got into that area of practice? Yeah, I, I imagine so. It wasn't so much. Uh, I didn't really think about it. I'm just very interested in it. So I would end up doing trainings, and then I did more and more trainings, and and that leads to more and more and more. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I I I 100 understand how lonely and isolating and horrific it is to have been a victim of sexual violence and the the aftermath of it you know the living with it for your life and it means a lot to me that i can um be with people in that experience and be a be a safe person really in that experience for them it's really important that we have somebody in our life that's a safe person um to help us with the aftermath of it how how old were you when you got involved with this with this, well, the, sex, it, the sex trafficking part of it or sex violence part of it. Yeah, it's quite a long story. But after being raped when I was 16, a man came into my life and he groomed me and he exploited me for three or four years, three and a half years, something like that. I got rid of him and then I ended up in prostitution. But the reason I ended up in prostitution, it's a hard one for people to understand. <clears throat> because my background and my life was middle class. There was no needing money, um, desperate situation that most people in the sex trade end up in it because of. Um, I was drawn to it because the guy who abused me, um, he would pay me and he paid me £100 and that for me felt like this great thing that now my sexuality, which was so broken from being raped and nobody knew about that at all mm-hmm. um, it made me feel like I, ha- I it had uh, worth and value um, and also the attention he was giving me felt great even though it was bad attention I guess you could say but I didn't realise it was bad because I just any attention is good attention when you need attention so that's what was going on for me it's, it's quite a complex situation was happening for me say after being raped um the the attention your man the your man sorry your man is like an irish way of saying the man mm-hmm. <laughs> the attention the man was giving me felt like it was in a weird way restoring my sexuality to something because it never got a chance to be anything so i never got to know it on its own terms it got taken from me the night i got raped and then this guy was telling me, oh, this is what it is. And that right. felt secure, right? It felt like, oh, this is what it is. It's to be used by other men because he sent me to a friend of his. And that was a real turning point. This old man, it was a real turning point for me because it was incredibly violent. And 
abusive. It was horrendous. I was about 19 at that stage and um, he paid me. And it was the first time I felt like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do a job. I'm going to do this for one hour and I'm going to get money for it. And that was a like a catalyst moment for me, I think of thinking, of feeling, rather than thinking anything, feeling like I can do this, I can endure this and I can, I can do it. Um, so when I got rid of the abuser guy, um, it felt natural to me to sell sex. Like it just felt like natural. And it felt like, oh, now I can have parent control over my sexuality. And now I, I can set the terms and conditions and the pay and the time and where and all this kind of stuff. Right. And I'm in charge. But I wasn't in charge at all. But it ha gave me that superficial hit of feeling of value and being in control. Neither of which I was, but that's how I that's what it felt in a superficial superficial level. You're you're 19 at the time. Yeah. Well, yeah. around age 19, 20. Yeah, your, your mom came in. My life I was around 17. I met him when I was, he came into my life when I was 16. I met him when I was 17. And then um, I got into prostitution when I was about 20, 21. Right. You're going to school at this time. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Pursuing a career. But yet, yeah. But yet you have this, this burden that you're carrying, but also you're trying to be a responsible individual, find a career, have a job. How are you, how are you juggling those things but also keeping your your family at bay because you're not it's not like you're you're sharing it with the world hey this is what's going on a lot of people don't know what you're the torment that you're dealing with no because for me it didn't feel like torment um i was in art college um and it was too it was like a different life i was living it was like when i got raped it was like i got split into two mm -hmm. versions of me um, one continued surviving and living and having a good time and doing all the things that you do as a young person. And the other part of me was carrying all this pain. And right. that's the part that was doing this. It was like a kind of like a self-harming, but I'm not saying that in a self-blaming way at all. Um, it was like a self-harm and also a reaching to feel of value and of worth. And it was also, it's complicated, right? It was also a a thing where we reenact trauma, which is really, 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 really common, where you unconsciously plop yourself into situations that are similar in order to have a control over the narrative. So you nearly like replay things. Um, and that's what I was doing as well. And it helped me survive because if I was to be fully aware of that I was raped, that this guy abused me for that many years and that that was bad and he shouldn't have done that, like my it, my sense of things is that my whole self would have just fallen apart. So this part that was continually doing this was in a weird way keeping me going. <laughs> Does that make any sense at all? No, it make, it makes perfect sense. And my my follow up question would be: Do you think the reason why you kept going and not dealt with what was you know the rape is one thing, then getting into the prostitution is the second thing? Do you think that the guy who raped you didn't wasn't held accountable and then the yeah. abuser comes in your life and then picks up to yeah. kind of yeah. uh, there was no accountability on their part. So it, that kind of kind of left you in limbo, so to speak. Yeah, you're so right. It's so true. There was there's a, a girl here in Ireland has just come out um, publicly on the sentencing of, of a rapist, a uh, guy who raped her 10 years ago. And the, the the joy I feel at seeing a woman do that is immense. And also the jealous, the weird jealousy I feel as well. So I'm like, I wish I had had that opportunity to, even if it never got anywhere, because most great rape cases don't, but to have had some sort of action myself and um, to take some sort of action against him rather, even if it never went anywhere, just for my own sense of power and autonomy and a rewriting of what happened. But that was not available to me. And it's not available to me with this guy, the abuser guy. And so it, it seems like I just kept going, trying to have this power and autonomy that I never actually got, but I was trying to get it. But you're so right in what you say that 
if I'd been able to hold him to account, if I'd been able to speak about it and be supported and all the rest of it, yeah, things probably would have gone very different. It would have been, me. I think it would have been a whole lot different. The trauma would, would have, have stopped, but it would have changed the directory of where you were going in life. Um, that's, mm -hmm. and, and not where you were going, but more emotionally, you know, because yeah. you would have had some sort of closure. Okay, this came to an end. Uh, you, you finally end up going to school, graduating. You became a, a psychotherapist, um, very active in participating in helping victims and um, writing about it, helping other people. But mm. for your for yourself, you did you still didn't really come to a closure for yourself as to what you've been through. Um, it, tell me about you writing about this and you helping other victims uh did that in some case gave you some some maybe like edging you a little bit closer to to come into grips of what you've experienced by helping them mm, for sure um it's my journey towards realizing that so I wasn't really okay, but I didn't realize I wasn't really okay the whole time this was going on. Right. And it was also very much in the background of my life. So it wasn't like a daily situation. It wasn't even a weekly situation. It was like whenever I fancied I needed the money or I told myself I needed the money mm -hmm. or whenever I put the money was cover for a tangible evidence of my worth, right? That's really what I was wanting. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So that went on. Eventually, met a very violent man who was just incredibly abusive towards me um, and that was the last man that I saw in prostitution um, then I moved to Berlin and when I was in Berlin I, I met somebody and I was involved with him and that was all lovely it was fine and it was in that process of being away from Dublin with this person who was showing me love and affection in a healthy way that I realized, oh, it doesn't have to be this transactional thing. And actually love is an okay thing and I can have it. And I'm allowed to have it. It was this kind of dawning realization as the more love I got and the more kind of comfortable I got in myself, the more I realized, oh my God, that was really bad what happened. That's why you're so sad all the time. And that's mm -hmm. why you're so angry all the time, <laughs> you know? That's what that's all about. And then the full weight of it hit me and I moved back to Ireland. And that's when I really started to struggle. It was two years after I left prostitution um, was when the impact of it, of it consciously hit me. Obviously the impact was always impacting <laughs> as, as it does, but I would only beca really became aware of it when I came back to Ireland and was like, oh no, now I'm fucked, basically. Sorry. <laughs> no, but like, you, you, as a profession, you're a therapist. Well, That's, I wasn't then. I, I wasn't then. No, it took. It was another few years before I went to college to become a therapist. Right, but you. But this is. But still, you haven't come to grips with what you've been through. You you still have it in the back of your mind, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Every day. So every day. Still. Now you're a therapist, and you're. It's your job to talk to people and help them, uh, come to grips make him find some balance uh however that is but you yourself needed to be need a therapist yourself you need to talk to someone when you were in this relationship when you went to berlin did you explain mm -hmm. to him what you've been through i did after we broke up I did yeah he was the first person i told so he understand yeah. kind of understand like what you were dealing with yeah. okay and then i moved home shortly after that and then I became a therapist. Uh, another couple of years after that, I went to, I did my degree in therapy. Yeah, psychotherapy. Yeah. Here you are now. Mm. I, I read your book. And here here's the thing that I, I got from your book, right? Mm. Everything that you're saying is not foreign. It's not isolated to just Ireland, Dublin, Berlin. Uh, yeah. When we yeah. think of sex trafficking is always uh, maybe as a international thing, but the same thing when I read your book is you're describing things that's happening here in the United States. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The trauma is something that I don't think it ever, you may be able to control it, 
it's kind of like being like a superhero right mm. when you don't want to people to know who you are that's when it mm. you know explodes inside of you so it's kind of mm-hmm. like you trying to contain what you've been through your experience and over the years you've been able to deal with it but it doesn't ever it doesn't ever leave you right no it's it's learning how to it's learning how to be with us mm-hmm. as it shows up for you which can be difficult sometimes and easier other times it just depends yeah it's learning how to carry it i suppose it's like right. it's like grief you know it's like it's like losing someone very close to you you're never going to get over the loss of the person but um or you're never going to move on you know but it's like how can i relate to this experience in a way that is supportive for me and not in a way that's destructive for me and how can i be kind of very compassionate and patient really patient towards myself that's very important um yeah yeah are you are you are you your number one therapist are you your number one patient (laughs) yeah every therapist is their own worst nightmare patient like combined Um, but i have my own therapist he's great um he's very patient um and i love the work i really love the work i love being able to when a client has been raped or abused um, sit with them in the pain so they know this is going to sound so basic but sit with them in the pain so they know they're not alone mm-hmm. because the sense of feeling isolated and alone is extraordinarily powerful and it, it separates you from the rest of society so you feel like I'm different and because nobody talks about this stuff either it doesn't help like so you feel extra I'm outside of the normal realm of normal life I'm different to everybody else. If people knew about this, they would reject me. Um, they would be ashamed of me, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So being able to be with somebody who's really experiencing that and be like, I get it, I'm here with you, um, I understand, is um, a really important, um, it's a really powerful, trans- transformative thing. I know it sounds like not much, but it's, it's really like the top thing. <laughs> <clears throat> I want to talk to you about any girl. First, I want to talk about the name. Yeah. Any's very vague, ba- very vague. Girl, you know, um, why did why did you choose that name? Well, it's like kind of like what you were saying a moment ago that this is a global story and it could happen in any country and any across any socioeconomic group and um, sexual exploitation doesn't discriminate. And I, I really wanted to reflect that I am this story because I am writing my book. I wrote my book for different reasons. It was for me because I needed to write it because it was coming at me. It was just pursuing me since 2011. Right. This book has been wanting to be written and I've tried to write it in different ways over the years. Um, I had to write it for me because I value telling the truth and doing the opposite of what our kind of shame-filled, judgmental society says, which is like, oh, you should never, ever tell. That's the worst thing you can go public on is that you used to sell sex. (laughs) And and I'm kind of proving it wrong. I'm like, well, it's not not really like the worst thing you can do. Um, I'm okay with me with I'm okay with my own experience I'm okay with me in that experience do you know so I had to I had to go as public as possible with it um to do the opposite of those shame stories we all carry in our heads like oh you can't tell anyone about that and no one can ever find out and all that kind of stuff to prove them all wrong you know those right. stories right and people in fairness that might think that um but the other reason I wrote it was because it's a bigger story than myself and I felt a duty and this is going to sound like I'm such a martyr like but I'm not, but I felt such a duty and um, obligation to, if I have the wherewithal, if I'm able to write, if I'm a good writer, which I am, if I have the ability to get something published, if I have the ability to speak about this, then it's kind of on me to do that then. And that is in no way me telling everyone needs to write books. That's, That's not what I'm saying. But that was my sense for me, because this is for all the girls, not one girl. Um, so that is where the name Any Girl um, sort of came from. It was like, this is about me, but it's a, it could be about any any of us. And there, but, but, but by the grace of God, go any of us. The opening of your book, summer 2018. Yeah. 
you describe learning to swim and mm. opening your eyes underwater mm. uh, when i read when i read that 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 opening in your book it seems that yeah. you are who you are now but you draw i guess your childhood unknowing to you gave you the courage to be an yeah. adult and write this book i was like wow yeah I, it, it was beautiful listen it was amazing how you did that mm. you know the yeah. grown woman today look to the young girl for strength to be who she yeah. is today i love that <laughs> six years old or something <laughs> i love that yeah i love it too it's a cool memory that popped up just at the right time and i was like oh yeah that that's exactly what i'm doing <laughs> i need to put that into the book i'm opening my eyes under the water i was so scared of doing that and you even talk about you know just the courage of even writing this book because you know once you write it it's forever it's not like you can change it i mean this is forever yep. you're opening yourself for criticism you're open you're just opening up to everything you know yeah family members probably didn't even know this even happened to you no they right didn't. and you were yeah. I, i mean listen you got a good career now right so mm -hmm. uh there's a lot of risk in writing a book like this yes okay yes yes uh, tell me about your fears and mm -hmm. ultimately the courage you're sitting at the table where you actually wrote that book to decide to, like this is this is what i'm going to do and wherever the yeah. chips fall they fall but I, i'm i'm gonna write it yeah it was a real like you said being totally open and i just have to kind of the need to do this was greater than the cost like it felt like i was trying to explain to my therapist once years ago and i was like it's like <laughs> it's like how i imagine a priest might feel if they do feel this kind of a sense of being called which again sounds like a massive martyr which i'm not but <laughs> but it was that this it was a wordless awareness of you have to do this you just have to do this and exactly whatever happens happens but you doing this is more important than that all that stuff all that noise you doing this is more important than that it's bigger than that like this issue is bigger than you and your individual life and your relationships and your family relationships and your work and all the rest of it like things you, you do the right thing and you do what your heart is drawing you to do and things will pan out they'll be things will pan out like nobody's gonna die as a result of my book being published do you know <laughs> it felt like that might happen but it didn't happen so um well someone yeah, did someone that. did die though nobody died what are you yeah, doing someone me? someone died oh the old missy. you the old you died oh, oh because you my dog. no well, missy died yeah not the dog no i'm saying that <laughs> yeah. that, that the oh, burden yeah. that you carried you killed that because you Yeah. You, you you overcome yeah. your fear to writing this book and becoming who you are. So it yeah, gave you a right. lot of courage. Yeah, and it's transformative. You know, it's really transformative. Definitely. Um, definitely. Like I'm not I'm not really afraid of much anymore. <laughs> anymore. But I was really afraid. I thought, oh, I'm like because I'm self-employed, so um I was thinking clients will find out about this and they will stop seeing me. Mm -hmm. Um Hunters, which is the name we use to describe the men who pay for sex, you probably use Johns. Tricks. Um, they'll find out where I work and they'll arrive there, or angry men will arrive at where I work or start harassing my workplace, or um, find out where I live, uh, or find out where my family lives, or uh, send horrific photos of me to my parents. Like I had, it was all about other people because mm -hmm. I knew I as all of us are more concerned about others than ourselves because we kind of know I'll be okay with me but the other I need to make sure others are protected so that was my like overarching fear was like the impact this might have on my family and and in fairness on my work because being self-employed you're always a little bit like living a little bit week to week right <laughs> so I was like, oh no, this is actually might destroy my reputation, like all this kind of stuff. None of that actually happened. Um, nobody arrived at my house to kill me or 
rang up where I work or anything like that. Um, but the, these, the, the stress was intense before the book came out. I was, I was intensely stressed out. Um, I couldn't sleep. I was, it was horrific um, in maybe the three months before it came out. And then once it came out, it was like one reviewer wrote that, the, that this is a long exhale for me. And I was like, that is exactly what it's like. It's like I can breathe now. I can go, oh, it's, it's done. I have surrendered to this and I'm open to whatever comes mm-hmm. and I'm not attached to what people think of me I'm not attached to whatever happens because I'm I'm kind of my own friend in it it's not the easiest journey in the whole world like I wish I had a different draw to do something else but at the same time like I kind of see myself this is going to again sound really like <laughs> ridiculous but I There's a quote, I think I wrote it in the book, Jackson Pollock said, you have to let the work come through you. And I find that that is what I was kind of channeling was that this just has to come through me. Who I am, my life is is kind of secondary to the work happening. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. In in this book, the last one, very, very... I, it, it, it's like I was in a room with you. Yeah. You paint a very, very detailed picture of what's transpiring, how you got into the room, opening the door, you know, mm-hmm. the whole process of going to the bathroom mm-hmm. and then coming out. And it's, you're there, but he's looking right through you. Yeah. Uh, first, my first question. Writing this is one thing. Experiencing it is a is a different thing. Did yeah. you have difficulty? It was it triggering for you when you had to reaccount all that 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 moment. I, I mean, there's many moments in the book, but that particular moment and last one. Yeah. That's got to be hard for you because it was. Mm-hmm you know, uh, traumatic, abusive. There's a lot of things happening in that, in that particular moment. Yeah. Uh, how did you get yeah. through it? <laughs> it was horrendous. <laughs> well, writing about it was very bad. There's reasons. It, it, I put it in at first. I decided to write the book sort of backwards um, because I thought, well, that's maybe an interesting way to tell the story but also i felt i just wanted to get it out of the way because i wanted to get to the good <laughs> okay, stuff right right the good stuff it's the part that other people might find quite boring like the last few chapters about trauma and men and whatever um those last three but i kind of wanted to let's get the horror show done and then we can have a nice time towards the end where we're talking more generally about things a little bit a little bit more generally um and I also wrote it in the, you know, the second person. So it's with the you, like you go into the room, you say Correct. hello or whatever. Correct. Instead of I, because I, I had to put, and I did that for the whole sex trade experience because I had to put myself, a little. I had to put myself a little bit away from what I was writing. And readers have said to me, like, it's like, I'm like, you just said, it's like, I'm there. Like you're, you're saying you're painting me the picture in the room that I'm the person in the room. <clears throat> and that wasn't at all my intention to make it that, incredibly um intimate and powerful for readers but um for me it was literally like i needed to put a gap between me and the story that i'm telling here and because it was really really bad that night with that guy um and it was also the um the thing that woke me up my body i couldn't i was so disconnected from my body this whole time I, i it didn't matter to me i didn't care what happened to it it had no worth to me so why not just let it be of worth to men Um, It gave me that superficial feeling of having value. But other than that, I didn't really care about it. It was just there. Um, But this experience with this guy, because he really beat me up and he dragged me around by my hair and I was in bits. And I was sitting outside afterwards and my body was in such pain that I couldn't ignore it anymore. I couldn't just disregard it anymore or, or, yeah, ignore it. I had to be like, okay, um... This is not 
this is no longer tenable. Like this is no longer something you can do. It was creep, it was already building this irritation I felt towards punters and a lack of wanting to go see them. And I mean, I never wanted to go. I just kind of felt I had to. Um, but my, I was getting more and more annoyed with them, I suppose. And, and I was growing in my own authentic self-worth, I suppose, or genuine self-worth. Right. And, um, so that was already kind of happening. And this was like kind of a tipping point, right? It was like, <clears throat> that was not something I can ever endure again uh, because my body was in such pain afterwards. Aside from that, you might have not thought about this before, before this incident, but belt buckles. It's the, it's yeah. like the jingling, that yeah. sound that, that always going to irk you. Always, always. I don't like it. Films, you know, anything I'm watching. It just gives me a, sh uh, it's not like a massive, I don't have some sort of massive triggering, traumatic, like flashback or something like that, but it's like a little zap of electricity of like oh no danger that's well, what it is but also it's this it's the sound you always hear that sound when you're in a room well you guys yeah. call it punter in the united states we call them tricks or john right it's that oh, yeah. sound that you it's the sound that you're always going to hear when you are doing a transaction with a client whether yeah. you're in the bathroom you're going to hear that jingling that belt it, it yeah. it's a sound that just it's just at most at best yeah. irritating right yeah it's it's incredibly uh associated for me i don't know how to ever disassociate it from that but i don't <clears throat> i'm not sure <laughs> it's incredibly powerful that particular sound that particular sight um and it's like a very painful job i guess and it puts me back on high alert and then memories might come in memories always come in um and that is something I have to deal with because it's like memories are always there They're, and right now I'm talking about it. So the memories are flowing through the whole time and that's OK if I'm in a relatively supported situation and I'm with other people or I'm here talking to you. So, it's, you know, I'm, it's OK. I'm in connection with someone else, which is a real trauma cure is safe connection with another human being or <clears throat> we don't have to know them very well, but just a, a genuine connection um, is, a, is a trauma cure or trauma healer. Um, but if I'm alone, if I'm having, if I'm alone, basically, if I'm alone, it, it has more of an impact on me. Right. <clears throat> or if I'm having a tough day or something else has happened, it's going to have much more of an impact on, on me. And um, yeah, I struggle with depression an awful lot and, and whatnot. Um, yeah, sorry, I went on a tangent there. I can't remember. No, it's fine. I want, I want to ask you this. We, we spoke about men who abuse women. We talk about the rape. <clears throat> <clears throat> and as a therapist it's one thing we can talk about the problem have you ever entertained the idea of having conversation with or let me phrase it this way is it important is it important for us to know these guys who uh seek the service of female prostitutes so to speak is it important for us to know what's going on with them what what brought them to this point and maybe that can give us an answer as to yeah. what the problem yeah absolutely absolutely how important what, is that it's in it's it's more important it's 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 fully important <laughs> when we talk about prostitution our focus is 99.999% on the women. It's kind of got a scandalous, sensational vibes usually, mm -hmm. right? right. Or else it's got a horror show kind of vibe around it. And it's always focusing on the <clears throat> on the women. And how did you get in? Even when I'm talking to people and the media and stuff, when my book came out, it's like, how did you get into it? How did you get out of it? What happened? What was it like? Blah, blah, blah. And you know what were you feeling what you what were you thinking um and people really want the details of the trauma right and i understand that because that's intriguing um and interesting and educational and all the rest of it but the men get the men are like boring for some reason they just get completely ignored but they actually make up the vast majority of the sex trade here in ireland we have about a thousand women involved in prostitution and there's over a hundred thousand about a thousand ireland's very small yeah about a thousand women 
um, involved in prostitution and difficult to find the exact number, right? But roughly. Um, and there's over 100,000 Irish men who regularly pay for sex. That's one in 15 men. But they are nowhere to be seen. We never talk about them. They're not the subject of much research. Um, they're subject of some research, but I imagine it's a very difficult population to access for research. Um, there's no punter rights groups. There's no like um, punter groups who are advocating for a new piece of legislation or for their right to do what they want and um, their right to pay for sex. Like we do not hear from them ever. They're in the shadows always. And I find that really frustrating. And when you try and talk about the punters, very often the conversation not bad intention or anything but it often that's just not the interesting thing because it's kind of well that's kind of weirdly expected of men that you know of that some men will do this right it's kind of tolerate it is tolerated whereas a woman selling sex is not tolerated and you're judged and victim blamed um completely but a man is kind of given a pass you know ah well you know let me let me ask you let me ask you this Let's just say we don't have accurate numbers, but let's just say on average, one female would see what five guys a day. I don't know. It would depend. But let's say on average, yeah, let's say five guys a day. So. And if we do that times a thousand female a day, that number goes up real fast so there is more men paying than there's female providing service oh yeah so way more i would think it would be if i was to running a research for cheese right we would want to get to know how many cows are providing milk right that would yeah i'm just using it as an example yeah so in the sex trade it would be in our best interest to know who these guys are, what make them ticks, okay? When women are abused or beat up or, you know, assaulted, yeah, these the guy are never held accountable because we don't know yeah. who they are. Yeah, wouldn't it be? I think it would be in the best interest of society to 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 pay yeah. closer attention to what Absolutely. what this really is it's about. A, it's a difficult. It's a little bit, I've wrote about a little bit in the book about if we don't. Well, that's why I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if we don't, I'm trying to remember what I wrote. If we don't treat the men with an understanding that they're fully human beings, if we just go, well, boys will be boys and men are just sexist monsters, um, misogynistic rapists, then we're screwed. Then we're not going to get anywhere. So it's a very. Um, it's a, it's a, we need to have kind of a, a, an understanding that men are fully human. These men who do this, right? I'm talking about these ones are full human beings with their own stories and narratives. And that isn't in, and, and traumas. And that is in no way excusing them of what they do at all. And I was trying to articulate this in the book um, that the men put their pain into the women they pay for sex. That's how I see it. That's how I experience wow. it. That's how I am. Say that again. The men are putting, the men who pay for sex are putting their pain into the women who they pay. So they're they're making the women who, who they're paying to have sex with absorb their pain, absorb their trauma and be a vessel for their shit, basically. Instead of owning their own shit and working on their own shit and being adults and responsible for themselves they're using women just like you might use a drug <clears throat> or alcohol to bypass their own pain but the women are the ones who end up in the pain the women are the cost to this situation um, someone someone told me he said women carry the energy like a, a sex worker Every man that they see, they absorb that energy mm. into them. Yeah. And yeah. and just like you said, that, that pain, 
So if they're not dealing with what they're dealing with hmm. and they're passing it on to the female, whatever it is, might be, he might have a bad day at home or a bad day at work. He comes, he beat her up. He's taking it out on her. She can't, she doesn't want to go to the police because they're not going to believe her. They may, um, you know, dismiss yeah. her concern or her, what she's experienced yeah. as just, Hey, you're a sex worker. Deal with it. Uh, yeah. also I want to ask you about is, can we categorize this as rape for hire? Yeah. Okay. That's how I put it. I, I, I say that like, cause I was willingly involved in prostitution. I was not forced there. I was not uh, pimped out. I wasn't uh, controlled in any way whatsoever. I was in charge of my own, um, activities. Right. Um, but I was, I am traumatized by what happened to me in prostitution. I'm no longer traumatized by being raped. But what happened to me in prostitution it was way, way worse impact. Mm -hmm. Way worse. And I say that I was willingly raped. That I, I put myself, I held myself up for abuse. That doesn't mean that the man is any less culpable. Um, but that is that is how I understand my own experience is that I was willing raped because there's no way you cannot pay for somebody's sexual consent. That isn't how sexual consent works. It has to be freely given. It has to be mutual. It has to be something that is desired. None of that exists in prostitution. And all you need to do to really see that in your own, <clears throat> for your own eyes, is to go on any of the escort websites and read the reviews the men write about the women and you'll see straight away this isn't there's the consent doesn't live here this has nothing to do with consent this is somebody acquiescing this is somebody <laughs> complying this is somebody saying is is being uh, bribed to sell access to their body that is not sexual but, consent but, but but also mia when when you look at some of these review on these sites Okay. Yeah. Some of these guys are really they're lightweight bullying females. Like if you don't do this, I'll I'll write a bad review. Oh, it happens all the time. So, yeah. isn't it what well, okay, if I came to you Mia to your practice and say, "Hey, if you don't see me, okay? If you don't see yeah. me in your therapist, I'm going to write a review and I'm going to ruin your business." That mm -hmm. might be blackmail. Or there yeah, might totally. be some criminal responsibility for doing that. But why is it overlooked online? Um, I think the women are very scared and most of them no, are being forget about the women, though. Forget about We don't need the women anymore. The guys. Oh, why the, why the, the men the are doing the, it? No, the guys are saying, hey, listen, he's admitting oh. to a crime, right? He's yeah, identifying the, he, right, he's mm -hmm. identifying the female who he's writing about. So therefore, he's saying, okay, I had an experience. I paid for a service. This is what happened. The police don't need the female anymore. They could just go lock that guy up. Can't they? Yeah, you think they would. Yeah. Though men will write things like, um, she wasn't happy. She was 100% not willing. She tried to pretend it was, I was inside her when really she was using her hand. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. Like there was, yeah. They're and, just so open with well, the, they're open with the review. Yeah. They're open with that. They raped somebody because they, and it's like, are they thick? I don't think they're thick. They, it's my sense is that paying wipes their conscience clean they're like mm -hmm. well i paid for a service and i didn't get the right service so now i'm gonna you know write my trip advisor review or whatever um but they describe rape and i don't believe that these men are stupid i don't think all 100 over a hundred thousand of them here in ireland are stupid i think they know exactly what they're doing but they their get out of jail card is the fact that they paid for it um but they 100 percent describe rape um in these reviews um and why they do it i think is because of feeling as that sense of power and control that they get off on an eroticized power and control that they get off on in the room with the woman and then they get to go home and have an extra little power and control get off moment by writing online or on their phones or whatever they do i, I would like, I, I here's what i would like to do i mean i would love to talk to a few guys I genuinely want to know. I want to have that conversation yeah. as to what makes you tick. What 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 makes you want to pay for sex? Okay. Mm -hmm. What are you thinking? Do you because in some cases 
I don't know about Ireland. In some cases where guys go and pay for a prostitute, some guys are yeah. paying multiple guys are paying to be with minors. Okay. We, I, and I know we didn't touch on that, but paying minors to have sex with them. Now, if a guy goes into the room and he see that the woman is traumatized and going through whatever she's going through at that moment and he pays her and he still goes through with the act. Mm -hmm. Okay. Should mm -hmm. he be somewhat responsible? Because if I saw someone in the street injured and I didn't help them, I may be liable. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, that's why it's illegal here to pay for sex. It's not illegal to sell it. It's decriminalized to sell it, but it's criminalized to paying for sex is criminalized here in Ireland. Um, since 2017 and rightfully so because what they're doing is raping a woman they're at best sexually exploiting a woman and worse raping her um and they but does, that, but that, but does that help though I don't, I don't i don't i never did maybe you can help me this i don't see what's the purpose of decriminalizing sex work without decriminalizing all the way so you could sell it but you can't pay for it that doesn't make any sense well, the idea is that the woman is not a, is no longer uh, doing anything criminal, that she is um, seen as a as a victim of a system as opposed to doing something wrong, and um, so she'll be treated like that by the police. And criminalizing the men is like rightfully so because they're rapists, so of course they should be criminalized. But the woman should not be. And the idea is that it re reduces the demand when it's implemented that it, it reduces the demand for prostitution, so it makes prostitution smaller in the jurisdiction. Let me ask the, you, the what are your thoughts on legalization of prostitution? Like terrible. Yeah, it's proven to be terrible. Yeah, it just blows up prostitution. The women have a terrible time. Germany has said it's a disaster. Holland's a disaster. Um, trafficking has gone up over 100% in Holland. Like it's a disaster. You can't you can't be like, oh, we want to get rid of smoking. Let's make it legal. For, let's just make smoking everywhere be legal again. Like we want to end smoking in Ireland, <laughs> I don't know if this is a good analogy or not, but here in Ireland, we want to end stop people smoking, you know, because it's a it's a health problem. Um, so you can't smoke indoors anymore. You can't smoke in restaurants or pubs or cinemas or wherever else you might used to be able to. And smoking has gone down. Right. 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 And there's a taboo around smoking. It's not not a taboo. What's the word? There's a bit of a stigma around um, smoking now. Like, I feel like a bit of a leper when I <laughs> try to have a cigarette anywhere. Um, Whereas we need to have that with prostitution as well, sort of. I mean, it's, it's sort of similar, but to reduce the reduce the number of men who are doing this behavior. Okay. Is there any way to, any way, do you see any way of this being legalized and the the, the Johns or the, the, the punters, you guys call it, and the female to be some middle ground? Because I got another question for you. Do you see this working or you're just saying, legalization should be outright no on all of oh no no legalization and decriminalization absolutely no like total decriminalization total legalization no way because you're legitimizing pimping raping exploiting um pimps become agents and managers um it normalizes it it um sends the message that it's actually fine to pay for sex that it's not a problem um we may as well legalize rape then because rape also hardly ever gets convicted. Um, so we may as well just legalize that because it's not uh, the laws we have aren't really working. Do you know what I mean? Like gotcha. maybe that's a bit of a, a ramble. Um, but no, because one is like, this is bad. And the other is going, this is actually okay. And I don't, it's not okay. So I would never align with a, with a legal model that supports the activity, which legalization and decriminalization both support paying for sex i don't what, want men to pay what, what are your thoughts on these sites like only fans where females yeah. are selling their selling their content um yeah. some of them are not actually interacting sexually with a client do yeah. you think there's there's can that work or no or that's just a, a, a segue into prostitution. Yeah, it's just another way of objectifying woman, women. Um, so the whole thing is like either we're all right with objectifying women or we're not. We're OK with raising women online or we're not. We right. don't get to like either that's a value we hold or it's a value we don't hold. Either sex has a value or it doesn't have a value. Like right. we don't get to decide, well, this girl is having a good time and making a lot of money and has an apartment in Dubai and whatever. So it's okay for her to do that. Like, it's not, it's not a, as in, 
I'm not saying it's okay for one person to do it or not. I'm not I'm not coming down on the women who do this because I obviously get it. Um but what I'm saying is like we have we have to live by the values we hold and either we're saying yeah, objectifying women is is harmful to society or it's mm -hmm. good for society or it's right. okay or it's neutral but we all know it's bad for society so no matter in what pool it shows up in or what branch of the tree it grows out of it's not a healthy thing it's not a good thing but that and then we get told you're a prude and all this kind of stuff which i'm definitely not <laughs> but like it's not being anti-sex it's being pro-sex it's being pro-sexuality it's being pro-women and it's being pro-men and it's being pro yeah sexuality by being against sexual objectification right so all of this i think is terrible <laughs> it is terrible and it's having a terrible impact <laughs> let, let me ask you this when you when you look back right at female who are in the sex trade sex workers right yeah. uh right now it might be fine they're making a lot of money and you know but money can't pay money can't hide the pain right 20 years 30 years from now do you think getting into this business for any female the long-term trauma even for guys right you know it, it's important for us to maybe like we said in the beginning yeah. talk it to some guys to make sure like we need to know where they came from what's going on with them because they are human uh the long-term trauma for a female i don't think she can ever get rid of right it, it'll stay with her the guys yeah. they may not understand what they're contributing to yeah they're the, the long-term trauma maybe yeah. if they understand it from that point of view maybe we can come to a better understanding of sex trafficking and human trafficking you think so yeah i think so i think i think many men choose not to see or not to know what they're contributing to i think they do know what they're doing is wrong but i think they think it's wrong for very selfish reasons like my wife can never find out because i'm cheating on her do you know as opposed to um causing this woman harm i don't think they really care i don't think the men who pay for sex they don't care about the women that they're raping they they don't care um and pain gives them that sense of like well i, I compensated her so what's the problem um i think it would be really great if men who paid for sex did read books like mine and other books or did educate themselves or were forced to be educated like john john skills and stuff like that um to understand the harm of what they're doing but the greatest motivator for changing things is peer influence so it's other men saying that's gross what are you doing you're raping her like you're raping women don't what are you joking about you're, you're not seriously going to go do that you know that's what we need other men to be doing right. not even other in, men holding in, other men accountable exactly and not gotcha. even maybe in those those dialogues mightn't happen because these men keep it to themselves they keep mostly secret that they do this although it's becoming less and less of a of a of a taboo but men out, who are public you know to publicly say this is bad and you shouldn't be doing this you know, but, you know and here's why like and you're a loser of a man if you if you're paying a woman to have sex with you like that's the greatest loser move you can make you know because it really is like and ironically the men who pay for sex they want the sense of power and control and autonomy and i'm the boss feeling um but the opposite is true they're they're absolute losers like <laughs> wonderful Mia, Mia Doran. Very, a very compassionate ending from a therapist. Mia, Mia Doran. Listen, I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, the book is out now. Any girl, uh, I know you're writing another book. Mm -hmm. I want you to come back anytime you want. But I, I enjoyed this conversation. It was very, very provoking conversation. I enjoyed the conversation. Any girl is available everywhere: Amazon, Barnes and Noble all bookstores online you know if you write this book how do you feel it's it's a, it's a it's a great body of work how do you feel the dog's no longer <laughs> here but how do you feel i feel i feel very proud of myself and i'm also it feels like now i can do something else with my life because this has been my life for so long mm -hmm. working to end the sex trade doing activism trying to write this book in different ways and now i'm like now i can do other things and that feels really good what, what's your next book about 
It's actually about sugar babies and sugar sugaring, you know, those websites seeking arrangement and stuff. <laughs> mm. How far how far are you into that? I finished it. It needs to be edited. Oh, you're done with it. Yeah. Oh, I've been writing this forever. <laughs> well, well, you got to you got to come back. You know that, right? You, yeah. you have to come back. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm so sorry as well. The light's gone down and I didn't think. I don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Nia Doran, it was a pleasure having you here. I enjoyed the conversation. You're more than welcome to come back anytime. I think the book is a good read. Anyone or everyone needs to pick it up. If they're a parent or not a parent, they need to because this can happen to anyone. Anyone. Um, your your issues or your, your story is not an isolated one. You know, nope. it's very relatable to everyone, even here in the United States. People go through the same thing, but you chose to put it in a book and put yourself out there for everyone to read and bring more light to sex trafficking. Great yeah. read. Love the book. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Kiko. All right. We'll do. Take care. Bye.